Hello, and welcome to the Five Day Reading Plan Podcast. My name is Lance Ward, and we are in week 31 of going over what we read this last week. Always remember that if you haven't downloaded a copy of this reading plan, you can find it either in the description of this podcast, or it's also available at fivedaybiblereading.com. And don't forget to rate the podcast if you listen regularly, uh, just to let people know how you're enjoying it. You know, I just got back from the dentist. Yeah, big news. Got back from the dentist just about an hour ago. Everything looks great. I learned something at the dentist about 10 years ago that used to be when I went to the dentist, they would always ask me, so how often do you floss? And I figured out that what they were really saying was, you don't floss much, do you? So this one hygienist, I just got honest with her one day and I said, you know what? I just need to get in that habit. And she said, you know what you need to do is go get a bag of floss sticks and just keep a bag in your car, keep a bag in your house. And just every time you eat, just, just go over your teeth real quickly. Now you're wondering where I'm going with this. Well, where I'm going with this is since I started doing that, they don't ask that question anymore. And I think that's a lot like our walk with God, that with our in our walk with God, we've got to develop these daily habits. And it's kind of like flossing. It kind of keeps the crud out of our lives. And so hopefully you've learned, as I've learned in reading through the Bible, that it's a great habit to get into and really prepares your soul. You may not know what for, but it's a great habit. It's like brushing and flossing daily. It just helps in your spiritual growth. So uh, this week, week 31, we read two prophets, Jonah and Amos. We also looked at 2 Kings 13 and 14, 2 Chronicles 25, Psalms 53 and 55, and in the New Testament, Matthew 11 through 15. You might have noticed before you read Jonah that he's actually referred to in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 15. So we see the reality that he was a, a real prophet in a real time. It's not just a story tucked into the prophets, but he was active in Israel's history, as you see recorded in 2 Kings 14. And you know, one of the there's two things I observed mainly about the book of Jonah. One is this, that in chapter two, you might have noticed that almost every line in Jonah's prayer comes from the book of Psalms. See, Jonah knew how to pray when his back was against the wall, or we might say when his back was against the wall of a belly. He knew how to pray because he was familiar with the Psalms. He had bathed himself in what we would call the Hebrew prayer guide, the Psalms. And in his time of desperation, then he found himself not at a loss for words, not knowing what to pray. He simply repeated what he knew from God's Word. And that's really the benefit of reading the Psalms regularly, is it teaches us how to talk to God and how to listen to God. And so when we find ourselves with our backs against the wall, we, if we've learned the Psalms, we may find ourselves just repeating the lines because they help us to pray. So if you don't take anything else away from this annual reading plan of Scripture, make sure you understand how important the Psalms are to a rich walk with God. In fact, if you want to do something else maybe next year, maybe you want to do a different reading plan, one of the things you might do is just in the course of a year, read five Psalms a day every day, and you will have read through the entire book 12 times, and you will see it start to be just kind of etched into your soul. In Jonah chapter 4, very interesting, Jonah gets angry with God. And the question is, why? He says this, I'm angry because I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love, a, a quote found eight times in the Old Testament, and one who relents from disaster. That's why I fled in the first place. So why is Jonah angry with God? Because he knows God is good. 
that the Lord has a soft spot for repentant people, even if they happen to be the worst of the worst. And I've thought about this, and I wonder, how often have we either heard or said that we think the Old Testament God is one who is always angry? Well, Jonah sure didn't believe that. Because when Jonah ran the other way, he wasn't just running from God. He wanted to erect a barrier to God's grace that he was so familiar with, to God's love toward a people he just didn't like himself. Did you notice, by the way, how Jonah ends? It ends with a question, a rhetorical question. And there's only one other book in our Bibles that ends in a question, and it's the book of Nahum, which also is a book about Nineveh. So that's a fun fact if you want to amaze your friends. Uh, But as we read the prophets, by the way, and you're going to see this in Amos, I want you to watch out for a key term. You're going to see this all through the prophets, and it's the Lord of hosts or the Lord of the armies, some translations might say, the Lord of hosts or the Lord of the armies. And I've gotten into this habit of when I read the prophets now, I just have a special highlighter color that I use every time a prophet uses this term. In Amos, as I read through, I counted at least nine times Amos uses this term. And when we get to Isaiah and Jeremiah, you will see it a lot in those books as well. This moniker for God reminds us that the one we worship is the commander-in-chief of all the heavenly armies. No one outranks him. No one who opposes him will escape him. He is the general of generals, mighty and invincible. It's a great way to pray to the Lord when you feel like you don't know what to do and you feel overwhelmed and you need a prayer of strength. You might say, Lord of hosts. That may be the way you want to address God at that time. Now, in Amos, you do see where a typical impression of an angry Old Testament God might come from. Chapters 1 through 3 are all about punishment that awaits those who have opposed God's righteousness, after all. Even among his own people, the Lord has some strong things to say for those who have rejected his law, who have oppressed the poor, who have committed sexual immorality, and who have disregarded and forgotten the salvation from Egypt in their past. This God had rescued them, he had loved them, but they, in turn, had rejected him. He even tried to get their attention through things like famine, drought, plagues, and defeat, but they just continued to ignore him. In spite of that, I noticed his plea in chapter 5, verse 4, verse 6, and verse 14, "'Seek me, pursue good, and you will live.'" Here's the spirit of the Lord again, that same spirit that actually made Jonah angry. After all the wrongs Israel and Judah did, God was still a God of second chances. His heart is he would rather redeem than judge. We also see this reflected in our reading in 2 Kings 13, 22 and 23. And in the end, after warning after warning in the book of Amos, the Lord looks ahead to a future day when all will be made right in chapter 9, verses 11 through 15. You'll notice this, too, as a common trend in the prophets, the Lord being justifiably angry with his own people, yet one who longs to plan a way for undeserved restoration. In the end, those judged would have no cause to say they had not been adequately warned nor offered a way out. One thing Psalm 53 did for us this week is reveal what might be the real issue with someone who denies the existence of God. Though we may hear intellectual-sounding arguments up front, I wonder if disbelief or cynicism is often more about desire than logic. You get the impression from this psalm that the real problem is a sin and a refusal to be accountable. 
It echoes Romans 1, where people who oppose God suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Simply put, when I read Psalm 53, the thought came to me, a lot of people who don't believe in God may not want to believe in God. They chafe at the idea of accountability to anyone but themselves. They don't want to own up to the reality of their sin or their shortcomings. Psalm 55 reveals the depths of David's wounds when he was once betrayed. All of us have probably been there to some degree, and there are many ungodly ways to go about it when we have been wounded so deeply or betrayed by a friend. David here, though, models a better way than revenge or bitterness or slander or any other options we might exercise when betrayed. He takes it directly to God. In doing so, notice how faith is expressed, first through a vulnerable honesty about the unrest this has brought him. Notice what he says. He says things like, I am restless and in turmoil with my complaint. My heart shudders within me. Terrors of death sweep over me. Horrors have overwhelmed me. I complain and groan morning, noon, and night. And then after such honesty, he takes his request to God, asking God to settle the matter and refusing to take things into his own hands. His conclusion for all of us, verse 22, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. David in this psalm exemplifies what a righteous man is supposed to do when betrayed. He has taken it to God. He has lamented, he has cried out, and he has trusted God to settle the score. In Matthew 11, we see it opening with some confusion from John the Baptist. He seems to have some doubt about the one he has talked about so much. But I notice that Jesus doesn't condemn him for his doubt. He reassures him and then builds him up publicly. Then something interesting happens in Matthew's gospel. Jesus rebukes those who refuse to repent with all the evidence in front of them. So in one chapter, we see both doubt and unrepentance, and we see that one is far worse than the other. In John's doubt, he does the right thing. He seeks the truth. He sends people to Jesus to ask him. In Jesus' enemies, though, we see a stubborn obstinance. So which is worse, a faith that sometimes experiences doubts or a heart that goes its own way? The answer in this chapter is obvious. And I think about that, about, hey, Lance, don't be too hard on yourself when doubts creep in, and they often do when we have faith in Christ. We, we have our doubts. That's pretty normal. What we need to watch out for, though, is hard hearts that continue to grow hard. In Matthew 13, 31 through 33, Jesus compares the kingdom to two things easily overlooked and taken for granted, a mustard seed and yeast. I know in our day, we are tempted to believe in the power of big, bold, shiny things when it comes to God working, aren't we? In these examples, though, Jesus reminds us that God typically works through seemingly insignificant things and people, and he does so over time, rarely immediately. This calls for both patience and trust. Finally, in Matthew 15, we see Jesus take on traditions that were not really evil in and of themselves, but they had become so important that they were viewed on the same level as God's law itself. In our walks with God, we might find ourselves struggling to distinguish specific biblical commands and the personal convictions of ourselves or others. 
it can be so easy to confuse the two. So let's always be on the lookout so that we don't start going in a direction that leads us toward personal pride and away from a true awareness of God's work in the heart. Well, that does it for week 31. Pretty short week this week. Next week, though, we're going to continue in Matthew. We're going to read chapter 16 through 20. We will also read the alarming and very interesting book of Hosea and the lengths God would go to to show his people how they had strayed. And by the way, I'll say this. Here's a hint on next week. You may want to rearrange your reading just a little bit and try to read Hosea maybe all in one day, and that you'll have to rearrange other things that way. But Hosea is one of those prophets. It's 12 chapters long, but it doesn't hurt to read it all in one sitting. So just a hint that you might do that on your own next week. Uh, we will also read Second Chronicles 26 and 27, and in the Psalms, we will read Psalm 58 and Psalm 61. Hope you have a great week till then. I hope it's not too hot where you are, and uh, may the Lord bless you this week in your reading. Thank you.